Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And on a Saturday, I would say many people will be watching this uh, presentation, Paterno, on HBO. Because so many of you must have been uh, intrigued by this story, possibly horrified or maybe defensive. I mean, it ran the gamut. We all agree. Here to help us on this topic is John Lucy, who wrote the book, Hear No Evil, and he wrote it very quickly while all this was uh, occurring. So, John, welcome to our show. Thanks, Sue. You must have went to the Evelyn Wood School of Speed Writing. Well, you know, uh, decades of working in the print uh, newspaper business, you get fast. And I also have uh, penned a couple of uh, fiction mysteries, too. So that really prepped me for uh, when it came time when the editors asked me to turn all of our reporting that we had done on the Jerry Sandusky scandal into an e-book that would literally be available before Christmas of that year. This was back in 2011. And remember, it was November when all of this was exploding. But we turned turned that around and turned it into sort of an e-book of sort of the you know the, the part of the scandal that that required the the newspaper research into the grand jury investigation and then of all those momentous events that that unleashed uh, when that indictment was announced you know in early November of 2011 that led to Joe Paterno's unceremonious ouster as head coach after all those legendary years and in this case uh, many of the elements of the story prove sometimes the truth is indeed stranger than fiction. At your newspaper, the, Har- the Harrisburg Patriot News, you had reporters who covered sports, you had reporters who covered government affairs, and uh, then you had a 24-year-old reporter, a, a young journalist, Sarah Ganim, who was the, the catalyst for all this uh, coming to the surface. And as, as you write about in a piece that appeared recently in the Harrisburg Patriot, Sarah had been working this story earlier in 2011, and dribs and drabs of it were coming out, but it, it didn't seem to uh, reach critical mass until November. Can you kind of lay down the, the background of how your newspaper got involved in this coverage and broke the story wide open? Okay, absolutely. Yeah, Sarah Ganim who was a Penn State student, and then she went to work for uh, the uh, Center Daily Times right in State College. And she, like a lot of people, had heard all these rumors surrounding Jerry Sandusky because there had been rumors surrounding him for years of just, you know, his dealings with kids, uh, boys from the second mile, which was his group that tried to help sort of troubled uh, kids. So she had heard the rumors, and she started looking into them when she was working for the Center Daily Times. So she had been looking into things for about a year when she decided to interview with the Patriot News. It turns out 
we had heard those same rumors, and we were looking into things, too. She had a line on one of the victims, which turned out to be the boy in Lock Haven, who was the catalyst for the grand jury investigation. Other reporters at the Patriot News had a line on another victim, and during this interview process, both sides were also feeling each other out on what they knew about the Sandusky scandal. Long story short, she gets hired in early of 2011. She's given unlimited time to sort of work on this story by uh, editor David Newhouse. And by March, she had uncovered enough that we started publishing stories that there was this grand jury investigation, that people like Paterno were, were testifying, that it was focusing on Jerry Sandusky and his uh, alleged abuse of children. And uh, there was information from at least one or two of the victims that we had uh, identified through, you know, just basically gumshoe reporting. But we published the stories in March, but they're virtually ignored. Paterno goes on to win his 409th victory, sets the college record. But weeks later, that indictment from the grand jury is is inadvertently released online, the online uh, court record system. Sarah sees it. We, we publish the story, and uh, Sandusky is hauled in the next day uh, to be booked. And by Monday of that week, Penn State and Happy Valley is quaking to the core because of all the implications of this scandal, not the least of which is what people like Paterno, uh, Graham Spanier, the president, uh, Curley and Schultz, the, uh, the athletic director and the security director knew, and when did they know it, about Sandusky's abuse, some of which was taking place inside the football building, the latch building, and even in the, the football showers of, of all places. Because Sandusky, even though he retired as a coach in 1999, he was granted access to all these Penn State facilities for life. And he was bringing boys from the second mile, thinking outwardly that he's introducing them to, you know, the disciplines of college and, you know, what they could aspire to, you know, uh, in their future. But here it's really a ruse so he can abuse these kids. So that is the unbelievable story that, that was uncovered. Yeah, and it, and it, and it, and it basically rocked Penn State like never before. It's so amazing, John, that when this did come out. Earlier in 2011, it was met with kind of a muted response. And then, of course, uh, everything uh, blew up and it was uh, really big news all over the the world. Absolutely. Were you there on that uh, Friday when uh, when uh, Sarah typed Sandusky's name into, I, I'm guessing it's what, the, the Pacer system or whatever. Were, mm-hmm. you, were you there when that happened? Because that must have been some moment when she knew that this was going to come down. Yeah, it was almost surreal because she sees it with her eyes. She shouts in the newsroom, "It's it's he's been indicted," and then where everybody crowds around, and then and then for then it disappears. And they actually have that scene in the movie. In the movie, you know, they they kind of distill the Patriot News down to Sarah and David Newhouse, the executive editor. Mm-hmm. So it really there was a you know a sort of a newsroom full of editors and reporters that were sort of doing other aspects of of the story, especially when the scandal broke and it and the tentacles reached out into this conspiracy of silence among the top brass at Penn State. But uh, but yeah, that scene is in there. It was almost surreal, and you're almost like. 
did I really see what I just saw? And, of course, it was true. And then because of that breach, they rushed rushed Sandusky in to be processed. He actually made bail and was out, you know, within hours. And uh, but, but it touched off the salacious details of that grand jury indictment, the words, the language, the cold matter-of-fact way they described the sexual abuse of these boys was so chilling that there was no escaping it, you know, from anybody at Penn State. And uh, j- just seeing that and having your jaw drop with, with seeing it in black and white really just uh, uh, there was no looking away at that point. Yeah, and they uh, attempted to hustle him into that uh, arraignment and hustle him back out without you guys knowing about it. And uh, again, it shows, John, the culture of protectiveness to some of these individuals. And um, as as reporters and, and editors and, and photogs, you, you must have been astonished at still, with these words in black and white, which you guys had seen, there would still be an attempt by... Um, even law enforcement to get him in and out of there without any ado, you know? Yeah, not only get him in and out of there, but in the indictment, uh, at least Curley and Schultz were also mentioned, uh, you know, as, as sort of knowing about this. So, uh, and then the, the first instinct of Graham Spanier in Penn State was to put a full-throated statement out supporting them and defending them. So, yeah, they're, they're, they, they still were in denial. With, you know, and in terms, you know, the, the crisis communications and the PR disaster that this became for Penn State, which is now a case study that some communication classes at Penn State still study to this day. The fact that they weren't better prepared for this because everybody knew the grand jury was was meeting because some of those guys were were testified before it. We had the story in March, but yet this still managed to catch everybody's. Uh, uh, by surprise in Happy Valley, it, 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 just showing the fact that they had no strategy for how to deal with this, uh, you know, the PR disaster and the media, the international media that would be swarming the campus by Tuesday of that week. It, it is absolutely a, a remarkable moment. And even, you know, the, uh, the way that uh, Joe Paterno had just uh, notched up this historic win in his career in, in D1 history, and then his his fall from grace. Um, and as you know, John, because you're you live in in Pennsylvania for so long. I mean, just the name Joe Paterno gave such reverence. You know what I'm saying? Because of mm-hmm. his, his commitment to the university, his uh, fostering of uh, young men into uh, what what they call student-athletes, which I guess doesn't happen everywhere. His uh, sense of philanthropy to Penn State University itself, it was as though he could do no wrong. So I think there was a reticence, actually, to, to do something about this, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, he rebuffed Graham Spanier, uh, I think it was back in 2004, 2005, because, you know, the program had fallen on some hard times and uh, the record wasn't what it should have been. Spanier comes over to Paterno's house and saying, hey, we think you might want to retire. He says, no, uh, get out. And, you know, he, he keeps his position and, and ends up going to the Rose Bowl. And I think uh, 2005 has one of the better seasons 
you know, uh, so he he had the power um, at Penn State, and you know because he had that PR image of being doing everything by the book and education matters and let's graduate these kids. Uh, he used that power with an edge. So in other words, uh, he, he if there was any challenge to him. Uh, he used that power to sort of beat it back, and he used that power to to really try to control the media coverage of him. He quartered the you know the beat reporters that that covered him, and when the questions might get a little too uncomfortable, there was an edge to him that many reporters would see of him sort of snapping back and and nipping those sort of uh, too aggressive coverage in the bud. But all that came crashing down when this indictment. Uh, came down, and especially when Penn State was on its heels PR-wise, and they needed to make some bold moves that would show them uh, appreciating the full gravity of the scandal, but also trying to turn the page and move on. And the biggest thing that they could do was to fire Paterno, and they did it over the phone, literally. You know, call, uh, he gave, they sent a courier with an envelope that said, "Call this number." He called it. He said it was a you know thirty second conversation. You're fired, and that was it. Incredible. And of course, that's in the movie as well. Absolutely incredible. And then, of course, they had uh, this uh, press. Uh, I, I don't even know what to call this. Um, scrum is the best way I, I guess I could describe it because they were going to have a press conference um, with the uh, the board vice chairman, uh, John Surma, uh, speaking mm-hmm. to the media. They had the media shut out of the room where the event was going to happen. That never makes the media happy. And then they had a run in there and uh, uh, Surma speaks and the you know members of the board are uh, seen in a, a photograph from from your own newspaper, uh, like a rogues gallery behind them. It's just incredible. Yeah, they look. They all have those stern faces, like the old Soviet Politburo. You know, they're all just have the poker faces going on, and you can tell it's uncomfortable for everybody. And Surma begins by announcing Spaniards ouster, and almost gives the paternal ouster as an afterthought. But that's what triggered, and plus because that that meeting had gone on so late, by the time they announced the Paterno firing, you know, it's, it's you know, going on, you know, 11 o'clock. And needless to say, a lot of the college students had spent a few hours in the bars. They see this on TV and immediately pour out into the streets and begin this sort of riot. Uh, over Paterno's firing, that goes national on CNN and cable channels. And the anchors are saying, well, why are these kids rioting over a football coach getting fired when the real scandal, the real tragedy, is all these kids that were abused, you know, under the nose of, of, of this venerable institution? Why aren't, why don't they care about that? And it gave the whole football culture of Penn State this this grotesque image of the football counts, but kids don't. And it became this national media damnation of Penn State. So it went from being sort of the program that did everything right to the program that blindly worshiped football above all. And then, of course, uh, the the real-life scene, John, of uh, Joe Paterno in his uh, pajama bottoms and his <laughs> his wife in, in, in her house coat hosting a a media press conference outside their house and then it turns into we are penn state which again you cannot you cannot write this kind of content this and this all really happened 
it all really happened. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, obviously in, re- in real life, it, 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 there was this mist of melancholy there because, you know, at 84 and, and everything that he had done, even though there were, was a hard edge to Paterno and, and, and he could wield power with the best of them, there was this grandfatherly quality that he had, especially with the, uh, with the students. And Paternoville, remember they'd camp out ahead of every game, Paternoville. So there was this wisp of melancholy and emotion to see this guy sort of fired and uh, uh, unceremoniously, and, and, you know, and the Penn State revs up. But he does turn around before he goes in and say, hey, let's maybe pray a little for those victims. And then he turns around, and then they do the Penn State again, and he pumps his arm one last time and then disappears behind the door. And for our photographer, Joe Hermit, who's photographed Paterno thousands of times, that was the last photo he ever took of Paterno because he'd be diagnosed with uh, aggressive cancer just weeks uh, later and be dead by January uh, of uh, 2012. So, I mean, it, it was uh, it was it was literally Shakespearean uh, moment, lion in winter, for sure. Absolutely. And uh, I, I guess you've uh, seen uh, the movie that HBO is uh, debuting. Yes. On. Yeah, we <laughs> they, they made it available to Penn Live and uh, a group of us screened it uh, a week ago. And uh, uh, Pacino as Paterno is unbelievable. There are times, you know, even even among people who covered Paterno for decades where it, it seems like you're watching Paterno on screen. And, and he actually gives um, sort of somewhat of a doddering, you know, 84-year-old performance. You know, you, you, you can kind of tell he's past his prime and maybe even a little confused. Uh, and, and some of the the drama of the film of his, uh, is Paterno trying to remember exactly what he did know about Jerry because he had the, the, the personality that could tune things out. And if he was focused on football, he could tune other things out and not want to know the details. You know what I mean? So it's really, it, it, I think it's really well done, the, 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 the part that studies Paterno and the inner workings of the Paterno family as this was exploding. To me, that's where the real drama of the dramatization of this lies. And then uh, Elvis Presley's granddaughter plays young Sarah, huh? Yes. <laughs> Some cast. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny because Sarah had other opportunities to write books and do other things with her experiences with this. But when uh, HB, I think it was Barry Levinson that had the project first, and then eventually it wound up in HBO. And it, you know, how movie projects, there's a gestation period. But she was contacted, and she felt comfortable with. Uh, uh, Barry Levinson of, of Diner fame and, and, of course, HBO. And she served as a paid consultant on this. And they wanted to fill out the journalism side of the story through uh, through uh, Sarah and her character. So she's really the second-billed character in, in the story. In other words, uh, uh, the actress that portrays her, the, the, uh, Riley uh, something, and her name Gio. escapes me, Riley is the second-billed yeah. actor. Yeah, she's the second-billed actor in the thing. But Sarah will tell you, I interviewed her uh, uh, earlier this week, that she doesn't really see the movie as 
as finished as sort of like a journalism story like Spotlight that won the Academy Award or The Post that was out earlier this year, because a lot of the reporting that she did in tracking down those original uh, victims and getting the grand jury sor- sources of what was going on in the grand jury, you know, that's happens before the time period of the movie, which really begins with Paterno getting his 409th win and then the indictment getting prematurely released right after, bringing everything down. So uh, she's a main character in the movie, and it does show her going back to the victims after the indictment is is out and the, the fact that there may have been a cover up is revealed. And, and, you know, they show her with the victims. What she said was her most important uh, part of this story was the victims themselves, because without them and without the bravery of, you know, of, of saying that I was abused in this horrible, embarrassing way by this football great Sandusky, you don't have a story. So for Sarah, the, the fact that the victims could be an integral part of this side of the story, that, that was important to her. John Lucy, thanks for taking all this time this morning uh, with us. Uh, what, a, what a fascinating part of our, our history. And um, uh, your book, Hear No Evil, is the basis for it, which was uh, put out in December of 2011 uh, with great speed and uh, very deft, deftly. And I appreciate the fact that you took the time today. Thanks for having me. And I uh, hope everybody watches and sort of makes up their own yeah, mind right. on 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 the whole the whole scandal yeah i like how you said that like a true newspaper person take care john yes. we really need new phones t-mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iphone 15s and each line is only 25 dollars a month new iphone 15s it's better over here. only at t-mobile get four iphone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.